Hello, everyone, and welcome to our podcast, Meet Us in the Middle. Dave Scheidler, who is our Chief Research Officer, announced the release of our latest report called Most Dynamic Micropolitans at the Rural Rise Conference that was held this year in Emporia, Kansas. Immediately after that presentation, we were so excited that we had this event to release it at that we pulled in Justin Birch, who is with Rural Lisk. He plays the role of the National Director of uh, Workforce Development at Rural Lisk. We pulled Justin in with Dave and we sat down together and had a conversation about this latest report. This is a report that we put out biennially, so every other year. Um, and we sat down, we talked about the findings. For me, I took a look and I was like, golly, there are only four Heartland communities in the top 25, which of course then emphasizes the reason why we have purpose and a mission as Heartland Forward, because we need to have more of those micropolitans from the Heartland on this top 25. But I hope that you enjoy it. You will hear that everybody did their homework, particularly Justin, who is not with Heartland Forward. You can you can hear that he read this report from start to finish and was really excited about it and sees the value of reports like this, which is always great for a third party to hear that uh, in their voice and to know the value so that you're not just doing a report for the sake of a report, but a report that's really going to help communities. So with that, we hope that you enjoy as you listen to this conversation about the most dynamic micropolitans. Welcome to Meet Us in the Middle. Today, as has been shared, I have Dave Scheidler, our Chief Research Officer at Heartland Forward, along with a special guest that not long ago we actually had in the office with us here in Bentonville, Arkansas, and so happy he could join us today on the podcast. It's Justin Birch, and he is the Program Director over Workforce Development for Rural Lisk. So welcome, gentlemen. Thank you for being with us. Thanks yeah, for having us. <laughs> Okay, so Dave, like you are on this high right now. You just got off stage at the Rural Rise Summit there in Emporia, Kansas, where you released our latest report that we have just completed called Most Dynamic Micropolitans. And I would like to know just a little bit more about this report, because I know that this is a report that we do frequently. It's not just like a one-off type report. So do you mind sharing a little bit about the report and its purpose? Sure. So we have three objectives really for this report. One is to provide micropolitan communities with data on <clears throat> the dynamics of their economies that they can use both for their own benchmarking, but also easily compare themselves to peer communities. Secondly, um, we use this report to uh, push metrics that we think are important that communities need to be paying more attention to. The, specifically, we're looking at three groups of, of metrics. So entrepreneurship, short-term changes in economic indicators like uh, GDP, average annual pay, employment, and per capita income levels. But we also look at that in a one-year timeframe and a five-year timeframe. And, and the five-year timeframe is really the, the point that I wanna make that we want communities to be thinking more long-term um, so that they're not just um, jumping on the next shiny object. Um, right, or what a trend, what they may see as a trend right. or a direction that they're really thinking like 
long-term, more strategically. Absolutely. Okay. For those of us that don't live and breathe in this space, would you define micropolitan? I was excited yesterday morning when I was with a group and a gentleman said, when does your next micropolitan report come out? And I was like, I told him, I said, I was so proud. I was like, you know what a micropolitan is. Define it for us, Dave, so that every listener knows what a micropolitan is. Absolutely. So micropolitan is a definition that the federal government applies to a region, um, which is defined as one or more counties that has an urban core or a city that is at least 10,000 in population up to 50,000 in population. And then any what they call economically attached counties to that county. And so that economic attachment can be determined through commuting patterns, through economic industries. um, So like I had somebody say, what about Lancaster in Ohio? Why are they not listed? Well, they're because they're part of the Columbus region. Okay. So makes a lot of sense. Okay. So what were some of the surprises that surfaced, Dave, when you were... Um, as you, the team was looking through everything and putting the whole report together? I, well, I think the biggest surprise was Los Alamos, New Mexico being our number one micropolitan. Right. Um, and and really, that's, that's a bit of an outlier. Um, the um, Los Alamos National Laboratories was privatized, uh, the management of it. And so it's considered a young firm, as we define young firms. Um, and so being the largest employer in Los Alamos, they had, um, a really high score for our entrepreneurship metrics. And so that catapulted them into the the number one position. Right. And a young firm in the way we define it is an, an entrepreneurial organization that is five years of age or less, correct? Yes. Okay. So that's what the different, that, that's sort of what got them to that number one position, right? Cause Absolutely. they were, they were, am I, t- did I, to understand you correct, they were public and then now they've gone private, private. That's correct. Right. Okay. So that is a little bit of an outlier to your point. So yep. we asked Justin to join today from Rural Lisk because we feel like the report in many ways dovetails so beautifully with the work you all are doing at that rural level, which is that 10,000 people or less in many cases, um, not necessarily always a micropolitan, I would say. And so explain what the purpose is before we get started with you, Justin, as to what is the purpose of rural LISC? And LISC, by the way, is capitalized. It's L-I-S-C. Yep. Local Initiative Support Corporation, um, also known as LISC. We were founded in the 90s and the 90s loved an acronym. So that's, that's <laughs> Who really doesn't love it? I feel like in our world, we love acronyms too. <laughs> right. So for us, you know, we, we're resonant to, to define rural. I mean, I always tell people in, in my like professional experience and also my personal experience growing up um, in this part of the country, you know, rural is really a culture and it's not a geography. Mm-hmm. And I know that we oftentimes put those USDA bands of 50,000 or less on it, but um I really think it's a it's a more nuanced conversation than that. So rural LISC, as as I like to put it, is you know we tend to be an intermediary for a lot of national philanthropy, um, federal and state governments. I think a, a good way to put it is we're sort of philanthropy's country cousin. Um, <laughs> is, is a great way to just sort of wrap that up. Now we really think through cohesive economic development for rural places. Um, So we work around five key strategic pillars, creative capital, broadband and infrastructure, disaster solutions, 
housing. And then what I lead at Rural Risk is workforce and small business and entrepreneurship, which I think has a lot of overlay to Heartland Forward's uh, Micropolitan Report. And, you know, it was really good to just see some of the data amplified and elevated um, that that underpins our, our work and those who are also serving micropolitan communities um, and sort of where, you know, I, I always love hockey as my analogy, but uh, where the puck is going rather than where it's at today. So I thought it was a, a phenomenal report, especially around sectoral strategies that rural communities are really dependent on in terms of making our economies um, viable for the 21st century. Right, because it really is, it's no different than our own uh, retirement account. Sometimes diversification is most important or any sure. successful entrepreneur, right? Diversification yep. yep. is important. I think about that in the same way for a community that you have to have some diversification or you're not gonna be able to maintain that level of ranking that maybe you know you feel the desire for. So Justin, when you're talking about that, talk what was most compelling to you as you read through it, especially through the lens of what you focus on, because you know workforce development is important to us as well um, and entrepreneurship, as you know, two of those are our pillars yeah you know strangely enough the the thing that like stood out the most in the report to me um and i think it's always important to amplify this it's the interdependency of urban and rural <laughs> communities mm -hmm. um that that you know if you need the the data to fill that that space um i think this report brings it so if you are living in an urban community and you're dependent on energy, oil, gas, you know, food being in your grocery store, the places where that is extracted from and sourced is actually rural communities. Yep. Um, I think a couple of the other things that really struck me is, you know, oftentimes we don't see this like mass industrial clustering in rural communities like we do in urban settings where in a supply chain, you know, a New York, a Chicago, an LA, a Bay Area has tons of tier ones. And if we're lucky in rural communities, maybe we have a tier two or a tier three that's a supplier. Um, but what caught my attention again was the small business and entrepreneurship piece is, you know, not every rural community is going to be a Los Alamos where something lands in the shop and employs everybody. Uh, we have a lot of instances of an opportunity mismatch rather than a skill mismatch. So that leads to the have to entrepreneurs. And I think that is exactly why, you know, we really see rural communities built on Main Street and not necessarily Wall Street. Yep. We, we have a culture and a history of entrepreneurship, of innovation within under-resourced environments, of making it work. And I thought that this was sort of clear from this report. I think also just, you know, calling out sectoral strategies that are not only important today, but will be important tomorrow. And one of the things I think Dave's report really highlighted, the sectors that were mentioned. So when we talk about oil and gas, when we talk about recreation, when we're talking about food processing, these are also industries that just can't get up and leave. So these are going to be <laughs> right. communities that stay in rural forever. And we, you know, we're not sitting here saying like, are we going to have to compete with New York City? You know, no. Like when we're talking about Colorado and the Rockies, you can't just pick that up and move it. Mm -hmm. People are always going to choose to come to rural America to recreate. Um, and I think that that, you know, definitely got exacerbated during COVID, as did all of these industries in terms of their uptick. 
But I think one of the things we're also seeing today is, you know, the recognition of the investment in strengthening and scaling those industries are, are needed. And thinking through the quality of place for rural is needed, not only for the residents that live there, but I think it created the proof points also for our urban counterparts of why we're so important and worthy of the investment from philanthropy and the federal government. So excellent report. I loved reading every second of it. <laughs> well, you know, we love hearing that for sure. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. So Dave, based on the report, what are some of the tools that you think um, that this report can provide to communities to figure out how they might want to improve? Well, so as <clears throat> Justin highlighted, I think the sectoral focus on outdoor recreation, uh, food processing, and oil, natural gas, and other mining activities, um, just knowing that these are the trends that both um, buoyed the top 25 micropolitans, but we also saw that pattern repeated through the micropolitans that moved up or improved their ranking. Um, we saw very similar trends. So knowing that um, provides local communities potentially new opportunities to think about their local economies and, and how they can, can add or supplement to it. But I think the other piece that really uh, spoke uh, volumes was the outdoor recreation communities. It wasn't just about what we typically think of as tourism necessarily. It also included in some communities that they've actually taken the expertise that was embedded in their guides and their outfitters and the, the local experts that people were seeking out and were a draw to that community in the first place and translating that into new products, new services. And so there's a, an, an element of niche manufacturing that is actually going along with that, um, which is really exciting because this is now uh, not only new businesses being created in these, these micropolitan communities and the surrounding areas, but it's also proving that as, as Justin said before, you know, we just, we, we kind of, make things happen um, in rural places, <laughs> but that's what we call innovation. I right. Mean, so they're, they're truly stepping up to the plate and, you know, creating these new products and services that, again, as, as Justin already said, are going to be in that community. They can't easily leave and, and potential, have the potential to grow. I love that idea that it's just how do we get things to happen and how that is innovation. When we don't have the solution, we figure out what the solution is. It doesn't necessarily have to be a, a Steve Jobs idea. Right. You know, when people are thinking about innovation, I think people get really uh, intimidated by that word because it's hard to define unless somebody looks at you and says, no, that's a great idea. That is innovation. Right. <laughs> and for some of us in rural communities, we have no other option than to come up with our own solution to solve the problem because somebody else is not going to make it happen. So the one thing that I have learned in the last um, couple of years that I have been with Heartland Forward is the fact that, you know, we're a bit at the mercy of the data. And as the data is released, it's not like we're always looking at the data of exactly what is happening at this moment, which makes me think that we're going to continue to see stuff unfold, particularly because of COVID, as a lot of that data is coming to us in the future. 
what are y'all thoughts as you think about that? What is what do you think are going to be some of the predictions uh, that we will have in the future as we're looking at micropolitans and how we might see that change? Rankings change, sectors change, um, any sort of trend. Well, I think one one of the trends that we're going to see is um, oil and gas communities and in, even to some extent our agricultural communities uh, are largely dependent upon the, the the volatility of the prices of their commodities. Right. And so so those communities are going to move around as beef prices change and as wheat prices change and oil and gas prices change. What What is really exciting, though, is we're already seeing coming out of the pandemic a bit of a renaissance and a diversification happening in manufacturing and so those communities that have food processing already have an industrial infrastructure that can support other forms of manufacturing and because of um, increased competitive competitiveness of our labor force and and changes in our trade policies, as well as this phenomenon of kind of rethinking and rebuilding the supply chain and having smaller factories closer to the markets that they serve, I think those three observations um, suggest or point to manufacturing is, is going to experience a renaissance um, over the next several years. And so that's a huge opportunity for rural parts of America. And I'm really excited to see that happen. Yeah, I would really underline that point. I think we saw a, a smidgen of it after the 2009 financial economic crisis. And then I think we're just beginning to see a resurge of it, um, of companies reshoring back to the United States. And when they're reshoring back to the United States, they're actually coming to rural and micropolitan areas. Because we do still have available resources. So whether that's land, whether that's water, whether that's energy, um, I think where we are trying to get up to speed is what I mentioned earlier. You know, rural has always been defined as an opportunity mismatch. We're going to move to a place of skills mismatch of yep. we are going to have a lot of jobs that are coming to rural communities, but don't necessarily have the skilled labor to fill them. So I see a lot of resources coming down from the federal government, USDA, the Federal Economic Development Commissions, but also philanthropy as they see the opportunity shift to rural and micropolitan regions. So I, I foresee like an influx of those dollars. I think what Dave was also hinting at is when we talk about the industrial clustering, we are going to begin to diversify. So I'm seeing that more and more in rural places, thinking beyond you know, the, these sort of like one resource industries, whether that's coal right, or, you know, whether that's um, cotton and agricultural project uh, products. I mean, like they're, they're beginning to expand to understand we can't just be a one industry community. Right. No, not a one pony. Right. Yep. So I'm, I'm yep. seeing a lot more of that, I think, in this space. I also think we're in sort of this new era of changing the narrative around data. So typically in rural and micropolitan areas over the last 30, 40 years, we have largely been stigmatized by our data because people were not seeing growth necessarily um, in terms of sectors or populations. 
But I think there's a couple things within that that are starting to shift. Uh, one of the things I noted from Dave's report that if you also look at it, a lot of these communities also have an influx of Latinx populations yeah. yep. um, who are attracted largely by the agricultural sector. They're migrant workers. They're bringing transferable skills that can be used in other industries. So I think that's something that the data is going to be telling us as well. Um, while we might not be high growth, the places that are outliers that are, are going to be those who are accommodating to the intersection of rural and BIPOC communities. And right. we're going to see a much more diverse labor pool to go into these industries. I think the niche manufacturing is like a, a totally great point um, as well. I think after COVID, people began to see that we had certain sectors that could be molded into other things. And what we saw was a creation of lifestyle businesses and people finding ways to sustain themselves in rural America because there was a... Um, quality of life there that maybe you don't necessarily get in an urban community. Overhead is a totally other conversation of what it costs for you to actually operate that business or that small manufacturing in rural. Um, so I, I see opportunity on the horizon in terms of trends for these places. The one thing I would say beyond, and I'm very interested to see where the, the Fed sort of lands on these infrastructure bills, um, but beyond the manufacturing and seeing these tier two and tier threes come, you know, the other industry that's going to be vastly impacted there is transportation, distribution, and logistics. Yeah, of so course. The way commodities move in the United States are going to happen not only by rail, not only by road, but by port. And rural has the predominant um, amount of ports in the United States. I can't remember the exact statistics, so let me put it in an approximate. But it's somewhere around 80% or more of ports are actually in rural communities. So I, I see that being another sector that we are going to see blooming. Um, last but not least, like when we talk about the fourth wave of the Industrial Revolution, digital is underpinning everything. And the yep. sector it's going to hit first is agriculture. So when we're talking about rural and micropolitan, especially as related to the report in food processing, we're going to see a different type of skilled worker coming out of these communities. Those people who have necessarily been um, utilized for their strong backs, I think we're going to see a turnover of that in rural America to being utilized for their strong minds. Mm -hmm. So in this process of upskilling, you know, I think we're looking for um, further credentialed, further educated individuals in rural places to be able to operate within some of these sectors. You know, and it's interesting because when you were talking about the skills mismatch, that was the first thing that came to my brain because I started thinking, oh my goodness, here you've got Intel going into Columbus, Ohio. You've got the Ford Motor Company going east of Memphis. Each one of them declared 6,000 bodies that they're going to have to put in positions, not wanting to already cannibalize the workforce that exists there. They're wanting to bring people there. And then you start thinking about all the peripheral jobs that are going to be needed that are going to be heavily entrepreneurial. I mean, I assume yeah. they would be, but I start thinking about that skills mismatch and that upskilling that is going to be required. And so much of it is not going to be 
defined by the way we've defined manufacturing in the past. I think the whole definition of manufacturing is going to be defined differently as you were talking about in this new, you know, new industrial revolution that we are, that is upon us. And I know those are just two of several examples, which is exciting because I think the heartland for us and the way we focus has this momentum behind it where people are thinking, lifestyle. They're thinking, um, they're thinking about cost of living, you know, the kind of job that they can get here. Uh, it'll be really exciting to think about what is going to be happening as we look to the future of the Heartland, specifically in, as we are speaking about micropolitans in rural communities. Yep. And digital will underpin everything. I even think about Google um, and their data centers and where they're setting up across the country, you know, yes. whether that's Oklahoma, Alabama, Texas, Tennessee, I mean, they are going to rural places and they're not necessarily all tech jobs. A lot of them are very high paying, like skill trades. They need the HVACs, they need the plumbers, they need the electricians, building, right? The electricians. Yep. Yeah. I mean, like we have uh, maybe not necessarily the most credentialed labor pool in America, but we have a very skilled labor pool in rural America. And hardworking. And, and, <laughs> yep, and hardworking. Hard and I think that's part of the conversation too is um, rural, I think, is in a place to stop using education as a proxy for skills. And I think we're going to see more and more hiring practices based on that within these communities and within these industries. Um, and I think beyond that, my hope is that we see an uptick in digital upskilling and training especially with the literacy component of we owe a Title II that now can include digital. I'm hoping to see more planning and development districts allocate their we owe a dollars towards digital scaling in rural places. Um, and I think that's going to be a trend that just keeps growing as well. Agreed. Justin, I think Dave and I both agree. We are so appreciative of having you join us today in this conversation. One, you are an important partner to us, but also to have your lens and the work you do intersect this awesome report that our entire team, he, by the way, he keeps calling this Dave's report. We're going to start calling this Dave's report and we'll see how the research team replies to that. No. <laughs> So sorry, research team. <laughs> no, no, I tease you because I tease you because there's so many hands that have touched this report and a lot yeah. of long hours from Jackson and Elizabeth and Jonas, as well as Dave and Julie and others. So, Cashfia. yes. And I yeah. Oh, and Cashfia, yes. Yeah. And Cashfia, our intern as well. Um, but thank you so, so much hard. for having me. Rule being so under resourced, it's always great to have allies like Heartland Forward. Um, and really, as we begin this, you know, new decade of growth and process for rural America. The one thing that we always have to ensure is that we're making data-backed decisions. And it's so important that we have research um, partners like you as well sitting at the table who can help guide that. Right. To, to Dave's point, that are not just making gut decisions, you right. know, that they're really thinking about where should we be going and where are our assets and what are our resources to do the very best that we can do. So... Okay, with that, gentlemen, thank you so much. Congratulations on the report, Dave, to you and the team. We're super excited to see um, the traction that it's going to get by others. So we appreciate it. And Justin, thanks for joining us today. I want to thank Dave and I want to thank Justin for such a great conversation. So much fun. I think we could have gone on and on and on actually, because they were both have such a vested interest in this. One of the things I did want to share um, with our listeners is I wanted you to be aware that with the report on our website, 
we have a index that's available to users where they can choose the metric selection and a rank selection. And lo and behold, it has received the largest touches that we've ever received on any one of our tools that we have put up with any of our other reports. And that is over 33,500 and it has not been up that long. And so we hope that you will access that tool. That's why we put them out there. We hope that if it's of interest to you, that you will be able to find some value in that. We wanna thank you for meeting us in the middle to come together to solve problems and to take actions. It's important to us, it's important to our mission and our purpose that we're not just thinking about it, that we're doing something about it. And we certainly appreciate you listening because you are listening to the voices of the American Heartland. Thank you, and we will see you again very soon.